Welcome to the Christian Ministries Church Podcast. My name is Josh Barnett. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. We're praying that this message equips and empowers you to live in the kingdom of God. If I don't know you, my name is Josh Barnett. Um, I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and uh, that was uh, some clips from our, our high school summer camp that we just did a couple weeks ago. And uh, creds to Madison. She put that video together, and it's awesome. Yeah. So good. But uh, we had 110 students here from, gosh, like five or six states. Um, we did a uh, biblical worldview training during the day. Obviously, we had a party during all the breaks. Um, just you saw all the craziness. And then at night, just watching them transform, watching them see like the transforming power of God was just, it, man, it was a lot. I get emotional just thinking about how incredible of a week it was. So church, thank you so much for your prayers. Thank you so much for giving, for making that possible. Thank you to everybody that served. Man, our staff, dude, was absolutely phenomenal. All of our blue t-shirts, all of our JCs, senior counselors that served, like just, I can't thank them enough. It was absolutely incredible. Um, man, I'm excited about today. I'm excited about being a part of a ministry that cares so much about the next generation. Um, I'm, uh, I'm going to be preaching today. Uh, it goes along with our theme, uh, live by faith. But if you're taking notes, I want you to write these two words down, desperate and deliberate. Desperate and deliberate, and we're going to look at two. We're going to look at a story that's in three of the Gospels. We're going to look at the recording of it in Mark chapter five. So, if you want to turn to Mark five with me, you can, or you can click on your cellular devices. Mark chapter five. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. This is also found in Matthew eight and Luke eight. I like Mark though. Here, he gives a few more details than, than the others do. We're going to start reading in verse 21. It says, Jesus got into the boat and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him and all the people followed crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them but had gotten no better. In fact, she had only gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus. So she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped. She could feel it in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, your suffering is over. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the house of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use in troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, do not be afraid, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go except for Peter, James, and John. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw the commotion, the weeping, and the wailing. And he went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. 
The crowd laughed at him, but he made them leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha Koum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened, and then he told them to give her something to eat. Come on. So good. He's so good. In all three Gospels, the story of Jairus and his daughter is interrupted by the, by the woman with the issue of blood. I know this is a very familiar story with those, uh, probably those of us who have been raised in church or have been in church for a number of years. Um, but I, I, I use these words desperate and deliberate because I want to look at a desperate father and I want to look at a deliberate woman. I want to look at a dead child and an infected woman who became the alive, mature, healed bride of Christ today. And I want you to know as I start that faith is not about believing harder. It's about getting closer. Faith is not about believing harder. It's about getting closer because when you get closer, you see him. And when you see him, you see everything that he's capable of. When you get close to the king, you get the kingdom. I love that it uses Jairus. And this woman in this story, these two miracles, these two contrasting people, because Jairus was a man and this woman is a woman. Jairus is named, the woman is not named. At this time, women would have been seen more as second-class citizens. And, and, and I, so I love that Jesus stops going, following the rich, influential leader of the church to stop and deal with this unclean, infected woman. You've got a man, you've got a woman, you've got one who's wealthy and one who's poor, you've got one who's respected and one who is rejected. You've got a synagogue ruler and you've got one who's not even allowed in the synagogue. You've got one that's wealthy and one that's bankrupt. You've got one that came to Jesus publicly and submissively and you've got another one that came to Jesus secretly. You've got one who's been living in joy with a child for 12 years who's in the middle of an emergency and you've got another woman who's been dying for 12 years. It's interesting that it's both 12. That's on purpose. <laughs> That's on purpose. Because there's some in this room today that you are dead and you're about to be made alive. And there's some that you've been suffering for 12 years and you're about to be healed. I love this man. I love Jay Iris and I love this woman because they're so opposite ends of the spectrum. But all of their needs were met at the feet of Jesus. Not anywhere else, all of their needs were met at the feet of Jesus. And it both says about both of them that they both heard about Jesus. They both heard about him. If you, if you, if you read the first few chapters of Mark, you've got a lot of stuff that went on. The first thing they would have heard about is that Jesus embraced a leper. Hugged a man with leprosy that nobody else was allowed to touch. Everybody else would have yelled, unclean, 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 and not gotten within 10 feet of him. Jesus walks up to him, wraps his arms around him, and heals him completely. They would have heard about that. They would have heard about when Jesus went across the lake to Decapolis that he met a man that had 2,000 demons and lived in the graveyard that no chain could hold, that that man came and threw himself at the feet of Jesus and was completely set free. He was so set free that the people came out of the town, saw the man clothed in his right mind, and became afraid. Now, when somebody experiences deliver, deliverance to the degree that you're afraid of them, they have been delivered. And it, you think if any man needs discipleship, it's that man, because he had 2,000 demons living on the inside of him. He was running around naked and cutting himself. 
dude, you need discipleship. And Jesus says, you can't follow me. I want you to go to that city. He actually comes back later and the whole Decapolis, 10 cities had been, had been evangelized because of the testimony of one man. They would have heard about that. And they would have heard when Jesus came back across the water, there was a huge storm and Jesus calmed the storm. Or maybe when he was going over there, I don't know. He calmed the storm though. They would have heard about all that. They would have heard about that Jairus leader of a synagogue. He would have organized worship and speakers and word and everything that was going on. He was the leader of that local church body basically for the Jewish people. Come on. So do you realize what he was risking to go to Jesus? His reputation, his job. Remember the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus. They didn't want to go run to his feet and bow down to him and ask him to come heal their daughter. They were jealous of him. They wanted to be the ones that could heal him, but nobody else could heal his daughter. But he heard about this man named Jesus and he thought maybe if I can get to his feet, that man will heal my, Jesus, will heal my, will heal my daughter. Have you been in that place of desperation where you've tried everything and it's like, man, I don't care what I lose. This is my kid we're talking about. Shh, are you desperate? Blessed are the poor in spirit, Matthew 5, 3, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Another way to say that is blessed are those who recognize their neediness for God. Shh, come on. They risked everything to get as close as possible, Jairus and this woman. The woman had been bleeding for 12 years. The girl was 12 years old. One didn't have the ability to reproduce because of her condition. The other didn't have the ability to reproduce because of the stage of maturity that she was in. Interesting. The reason the girl's not named and the reason that the woman is not named is because they represent you and I. And Jesus is coming after a bride. And he's calling ones who are not mature enough to reproduce into maturity. And he's calling ones who are too infected to reproduce into healing and wholeness. You hear me? When I say, I, when I, what do I mean by reproduction? I mean that you are a disciple maker. I'm not the disciple maker for you. I'll make disciples, but you're also called to make disciples. Sometimes by having babies. It's always a good thing but also by raising up the next generation. Come on. <clears throat> He's coming after a bride that won't grow up and a bride that can't reproduce. There's a reason that these two are always tied together. Whew. So Jairus comes, he says, pleading fervently at the feet of Jesus. And listen, I want you to know this morning that Jesus cannot deny a burning heart. He cannot deny a hungry heart. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. How hungry are you? How desperate are you? Desperate's not, and, and desperate isn't meant to just be for emergency situations. Desperation is not meant for emergency situations. Desperation for the Lord is meant to be all the time. Y'all remember that old Michael W. Smith song? This is the air I breathe. We wore that song out. You like that? Lucas, sign up. No, he said no. <laughs> Lucas, I, got, I was gonna join the worship team. <clears throat> right? That, and I'm desperate for you. I'm lost without you. This is the air I breathe. See, Jesus was never meant to be an addendum on your life. He was meant to be the center of your life, the center of your attention, your affection, and your focus. And maybe you're not getting breakthrough because you're not desperate. Maybe you're more concerned about your reputation. Maybe you're more concerned about what your coworkers think about you or what your family thinks about you, what somebody else thinks about you. And Jesus says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. Don't think he's just talking about judgment day. 
See, many of us want something from Jesus, but we don't want Jesus. He doesn't work that way. He doesn't work that way. Are you desperate for him, not on Sunday morning, but on a, a daily basis? Do you live in that place? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Is there a desperation in your life, or are you just kind of coasting through? Whew, I'm desperate for you, Lord. I'm desperate. And I don't mean this to shame anybody. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to stir up hunger inside of you. I want to stir up hunger on the inside of you. And, and the reason that our hunger wanes is not because of his unfaithfulness, it's because of ours. He's faithful. He says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. But it's just like it, it, feeding your spirit man is just like eating food. The more you eat, the hungrier you get. If you eat a huge meal for lunch today and a huge meal for dinner tonight, when you wake up in the morning, what are you going to be? Hungry. But if you don't eat or you eat very little for lunch and dinner and lunch and dinner for the next few days, you're going to get less hungry and less hungry and less hungry. Why? Because your stomach is going to shrink. Same things happen in the spiritual. The more that you eat his flesh and drink his blood, the hungrier and hungrier and hungrier and more desperate you get for him. But the more that you, it's not him, it's on us. He doesn't force himself upon us. So all I want to do is I, I want to stir some hunger up on the inside of you today. Are you desperate for him? Are you desperate for him? The goal is not to just be desperate when there's an emergency. The goal is to live in desperation all the time. And, I, and, and Jesus proves it to us in this story. God, God more oftentimes responds to intentionality than he does emergency. The little girl was dying and Jesus pauses on the way. This is an emergency situation. She's healed, God. Move on. But he responds to the deliberate, intentional one. Do you hear me? And I would say the more that you are deliberate, the more that you're intentional, the more desperate you'll become and you stay in that place of desperation. Don't run to him as your last resort. Let's move on. <clears throat> in a, we get so, so he's on the way and we get this picture of this woman coming in verses 20, 24 and 25. It begins to talk about her condition, her ailment, the agony that she's been living in. This bleeding that she's living in is, is causing her suffering. Now, it doesn't exactly say what, what caused the bleeding. It could have been an STD. It could have just been some type of disease that has basically caused her ladies to have a nonstop cycle, a nonstop period for 12 years. 12 years. And think about it. Maybe she goes, maybe it lasts a day longer than normal, and she thinks, that's weird. Maybe it'll stop tomorrow, and it comes back. And, and listen, I know this is gross, but I, I, I just want you to understand, like, and then it goes on for another week, and a month, and another month, and another month. And listen, maybe she, she may be able to keep it hidden for a while, because she's bleeding in a secret place. That'll preach. She's bleeding from a place that she can hide it for a while. But she'll be found out. We don't know if she was ever married or not, but if she was married, eventually her husband would have found out and he would have had the right to divorce her because she would have been considered unclean. Everything that she touched, every bed that she laid on, every person that she touched would have been considered unclean for a certain amount of time. The clothes that she wore would have been considered unclean. She would have had to live like a leper. And just think like one month, two months, three months, like God, Please, and maybe, maybe she begins to travel and try to find doctors and try to find somebody that can, that can help her condition. 
And that one didn't help. And, and so she goes to this other town and she begins to live secretly and, and try to, and then somebody finds out, maybe they see blood on her leg or whatever. And so they cry unclean. And so then she has to go to another town because she keeps getting found out and keeps getting found out and keeps getting found out. Maybe always thinking like, maybe, maybe tomorrow it will stop. Maybe tomorrow it will stop. Maybe this doctor can help me. Maybe this doctor can help me. Maybe this doctor can help me. I can't imagine. She was suffering physically, sick all the time, medically. It says that the, that the doctors had caused her more harm than good, that she had gotten worse. That'll preach. God bless you. Listen, I, there are doctors and nurses that I love in the medical community, but you need to understand that not every doctor has your best interest in mind. Not every pill has your best interest in mind. I'm thankful for doctors and nurses that care about people, but a lot of them care more about their pocketbooks than they care about people. I say the same thing about churches and about pastors, because maybe we think the next church will do it, the next conference will do it, the next pastor will do it, and we continue to move from place to place to place to place, always thinking this will make it better. And you end up 12 years down the road and you're only worse than you were when it started. You hear me? Listen, maybe, maybe mental health awareness doesn't have your best interest in mind. And I'm all about taking care of your mental health. Hear me, hear my heart. I'm about taking care of your mental health. I think probably what would be best for your mental health is to put your phone down and take a walk outside. That would be really good, that'd be good for you. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to me too. But, but and, I, and I'm thankful for godly Christian therapists who help people deal with a lot of stuff. But I also want you to know that not every therapist has your best interest in mind. Why? Because if you get up off their couch, they no longer make money from you. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just, I'm letting you know, sometimes we are running to all of these things when Jesus is our, and we make Jesus our last option. Or we think that Jesus doesn't work for me. Well, I tried that. No, you didn't. I tried it. Tried it for how long? How deliberate, how intentional. See, she was deliberate about touching him. Uh, Luke 8, 46, in that narrative, he says, somebody touched me. And, and Peter's like, well, yeah, everybody's crowding around you. And he's like, no, somebody deliberately touched me is what he says. Somebody deliberately touched me. Many churches across the world today, and even here, there's crowds gathering around Jesus and even bumping up against Jesus. But how intentional are you being about touching Jesus? Because you can be present and not be present. You can be in the room, but your mind and your heart not be in the room. See, there's many people that I, even as I'm preaching right now, your heart and your mind are not present. You're thinking about lunch. You're thinking about what's going on this week. You're thinking about what happened with your family last week. There's many things going on, and you've crowded around Jesus, but you've just got caught up in the hustle and bustle, and you're not being intentional about touching the hem of his garment. And Jesus is looking for the one is who got intentional during worship today? Who got intentional? Who? Where is she, man? She touched my heart. She touched my robe, but man, she touched my heart today. I want to find that one. I want to find that one, and I want to set that one free. Are you with me? This woman is not named because she represents the sick bride. We've all been sick. We've all been diseased, ridden with sin. Romans 5 makes that very clear. Romans 5.12 says that we've all inherited the Adamic nature. We've all inher inherited a sin nature. This woman was bleeding. We've all been bleeding. We've all had a blood problem. 
We all have a blood problem, but there's a greater blood. Maybe she did her best, you know, live in secret, try to cover it up from time to time would have been found out, would have to move, but she gave the illusion of getting cleaned up, only knowing that she really wasn't. She was bleeding in a secret place and, and she could somewhat conceal it, probably have better days than others, but she was infected. We've been infected. And when we're young and infected, it's more obvious. When we're young and infected, it's more obvious. We're dumber, I guess. I mean, I was there, you know, I was dumb. But when I got caught, I wasn't sad that I got, was sinning against God. I was sad that I got caught. And you know what I did? I just became a better pretender. I became a better poser. As we get older, we get smarter at covering up our sin. But uh, <laughs> there's three people you can't lie, lie to. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He caught me. <laughs> he knew. Well, we get clever. We get better at covering up our sin. We, we play religious games. We come in and we can raise our hands. And, and listen, oftentimes we are even in that place of like, I want to be free, but I don't. Man, if I confess, like they're going to think differently about me. It's shame. That's, sh that's the lie of shame. The lie of shame. The lie of shame. The lie of shame says that your brothers, will, your brothers in Christ will think you're dirty and disgusting and will look at you differently. The lie of shame thinks that your sisters in this community will think you're dirty and disgusting and will, and will distance themselves from you. That's what shame says. That's what shame says. But what the real body of Christ does is we want to invade those places because whom the sun sets free is free indeed and we want you to walk in freedom. And Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you could cope on the fringes the rest of your life. He died on the cross so you could be set free from sin so that you no longer had to be a slave, so that you could walk in total freedom from sin, so that you could be completely healed. Man. And maybe the next sermon or the next church service, maybe it does stop the bleeding for a little while, but it always seems to open back up again. You may have a problem in the secret place. Secrets empower sin. Secrets empower sin. You've got to bring your secrets into the light. You want to be free? Do you want to be free this morning? Don't have any secrets. Don't have any secrets. Confess your sins one to another so that you will be saved. Confession is a, is a huge part of community. And that's scary. Like I know, like I feel it in the room right now. It's like, I don't know if I want to confess. And it's like, man, you need to. You need to confess to somebody that will help pull you out of it. Confession is good. You need to have radical accountability. Radical accountability. Some of you in this room, you would be terrified if your spouse picked up your phone. I'm just being real. Don't have any secrets. That's slavery. That's living in fear. We've been set free from that. You don't have to live in slavery. Invite extreme accountability into your life. Don't bleed in secret. There's healing for you in this room today. Do you hear me? There's healing in this room for you today. She heard about Jesus, man. She heard about Jesus. She heard about Jesus. She heard about the healing. She heard about the deliverance. She heard about the freedom. She heard about salvation. And listen, I have people come to me and say, like, I've, I've been struggling for years. I've been struggling for years. I don't know if I, I can't be free. 
I can't be free. And I've, I've, I've hit, I've, it's, the, it's been the same thing. It's been the same thing. It's been the same thing. But I'm here to tell you today, I know he can make you free because he made me free. And I know that the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. And I know that when I share my testimony, it releases prophetic power into the room that says, how do I know he can make you free? Because I saw him make me free. And I saw him make my wife free. You want to meet somebody that's saved to the bone? Talk to my wife. My goodness, she is the most impressive person in this room. God bless the rest of you. I know you think I have to say that, but she really is the most impressive person in this room. There are things that she's been set free from, and there are things that she's been done to her that she's been so healed from that oftentimes she shares her testimony, and I'm like, babe, where was all the bad stuff? And she's like, oh yeah, I forgot about it. That's the gospel, friend. That's the gospel, that you are so set free, you are so healed, you are so delivered that you don't even think that way anymore. That, those, that, that, that man that hurt you 20 years ago, that you don't even remember his face anymore. Shh, well that's not possible. Then you haven't met my Jesus and you haven't met her Jesus. Come on. See, many of us, we put more faith in sin than we do the cross of Christ. But Matthew, uh, Romans 5, you should read it this week. Romans 5 is incredible. Romans 5 says, how much greater is the gift that we receive from the cross than the, than the sin that we receive from Adam? How much greater is the gift from God? My goodness. Don't have more faith in Adam's sin than you do in, Jesus, in the blood of Jesus. Come on. I'm trying. I'm trying, Misty. <sighs> Woo. Come on. I love that she went to all these doctors and nobody could help her. I love it. I love that she was removed from every town, every job, every marriage that she was ever in. I love it. I love, I love that I've been rejected. I love that I've been thrown out. I love that I've been ostracized. I love that they didn't understand me. I love that they thought I was too dirty to get close to. I loved it. I love that, that they walked out. Why? Because I wouldn't know Jesus like I know him today if they hadn't. And a lot of you are looking at rejection as something that's, that, that and I know rejection is hurtful, but here's what I'll let you know. Look at rejection in the right way. It's grace from God. Rejection from man is grace from God because I wouldn't know his feet like I know his feet today if it wasn't for the rejection that I faced along the way. It was grace that, did, that didn't, it's grace that hasn't allowed you to overcome on your own. Or that you were able to overcome through one of his representatives. See, you don't need an encounter with me, you need an encounter with him. You don't need an encounter with our church. You don't need an encounter with our ministry. You don't need an encounter with Pastor Tim or Pastor Paul or one of our wives. You need an encounter with Jesus. You don't need, your, you don't need an encounter with your favorite preacher on social media. You don't need to hit, lay hands on him or him to lay hands on you, I'm sorry. You need an encounter with Jesus because you have the same access to him that I do. Come on. Some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy and like you lost your mind and you're like, man, I have, I've lost it. I have lost my mind. And I got his, so <laughs> I'm excited, dude. I'm about to run around this room. I, you know, Christianity is not boring. You are. <laughs> God. <laughs> she thought to herself, if I could just touch his robe, if I could just touch his robe, and she deliberately, she intentionally touched his robe. She was risking public embarrassment and humiliation. And listen, she was exhausted. She was tired. When it says that she spent all she had, it didn't just mean financially. 
And I think there's people in this room today who say, you're exhausted. You are tired. And you need a touch from Jesus. You need a touch from Jesus. Will you be intentional and deliberate about coming and touching the hem of his garment today? And you know what's amazing about her touching the hem of his garment? Do you know what the hem of that garment represented? Do you know what was at the end of the prayer shawl? The prayers and promises of God. That's what she touched. That's what she touched. When you read this, when you read this, is it just like reading the paper? Just like reading another book? Or do you see the promises in here and lay hold of them? Hebrews, I love Hebrews 11, 11. It says that Sarah, by faith, received her child because she saw God as faithful and she laid hold of the promises that he had for her. Are you gonna be deliberate and intentional about going and laying hold of the promises that are, we were, sing, we're all singing that song and clapping this morning. I know breakthrough is coming, right? By faith, I see a miracle. Today's my tryout. I got one woo. We sing that and we dance to it, but do you actually believe it? Do you actually believe it? You need to get closer. How close have you gotten? There are some in here who are saved, but like this woman, you're burdened and defeated and you need a touch from him. And the sooner you come to realize that Jesus is the only person who can help you, the sooner you can get help you need. Why carry that burden one more step? Why fight the battle even one more minute? Why live defeated another day when you don't have to? When you don't have to. Sometimes we get in the same room with Jesus, but we're not intentional about touching him. When's the last time you got desperate enough to get to his feet? Like I said at the beginning, it's not about believing harder, it's about getting closer. It's not, about getting, it's not just about getting closer, it's about being desperate enough to get close. Living in that place, being deliberate and intentional, making up your mind no matter the cost, I'm going to get to him. I'm gonna get to him. A few weeks ago, David Hilton, pastor from Dayton Christian Center, was speaking and he talked about your inner dialogue. And I love that it talks about her inner dialogue in this text. It says, she thinks to herself, if I can just, if I can just, one translation says, if I, if I may touch him, if I may touch him, if I may touch him. See, because a lot of you believe that you have the ability to come down to this altar, but a lot of you believe that God doesn't want you to. You believe that he can set you free, but you don't think he wants to. See, a lot of us will go and touch, and then we re we're gonna retreat into the crowd. Because I know that he can, but I don't know if he wants to. See, I man, I lived a lot of my life thinking that God just kind of, you know, held his nose and put up with me. I felt like he was mildly disgusted with me and constantly frustrated with my lack of progress. <sighs> but it couldn't be further from the truth, man. He doesn't just have the power to, he wants to. He wants to. He wants to prove it. He stops and he turns around when he's on the way to raise a girl from the dead. He stops and turns around and, and, and his eyes scan the crowd looking for the woman. I, he knew who it was, he's God. He knew who touched him, but he was giving her a chance to respond. Giving her a chance to respond. So like, 
here's the deal. He gave her permission. God is giving you permission this morning to get as close as you want to. To get as close as you want to. To get as close as you want to. I know a lot of times we don't come down to the altar because we think, what will other people think about me? Because that's what she was worried about. They'll think I'm diseased. They'll think I'm unclean. They'll ostracize me. They'll whatever. And he wouldn't stop looking until she came forward. Man. He stops and he turns around. And she thinks in his mind, she knows her condition. She knows what the Levitical law says. If I touch him, I make him unclean. That's what the Levitical law said. If she touches him, it makes him unclean. There's other places in scripture where we have different, I love that it's always these unnamed women because I want you to see yourself in these stories. That was the purpose of not naming them. Where Jesus is, he's in a house, Simon's house, a Pharisee's house, and a lady of the night, a prostitute comes in and touches his feet and they look and they think, if he only knew the manner of woman she is. Buddy, he knew. He knew. He knew. But what he knew more so was the kind of man that he was. I love in John 4, where the woman says, if you only knew, Lord, who you were talking to. And he says, no, if you only knew. Come on, man. If you only knew. And so, like, you may feel dirty and disgusting and shameful and used and beat up and worthless this morning, but I want you to know that Jesus doesn't see you that way. He wants to make you a new creation. He wants to heal you all the way through. He doesn't want to keep you at a distance. He doesn't want to let you retreat into the crowd. He's just not interested. He's not just interested in healing you. He's just not interested in opening the prison door and say, all right, you can come out now. He's interested in pulling you out and pulling you in close. He didn't want to just heal her. He wanted to restore her. He loved her and he loves you too much to leave you healed on the fringes. He wants, you bring, he wants to bring you into the center of his attention. He doesn't want you coping on the fringes and be a little bit better next year, this time, this time next year than you are right now. He wants you to be completely free. And his response is, only time he says it in the Gospels, his response when he comes up to her is, daughter. Daughter. He restored identity. He didn't say soiled. He didn't say dirty. He didn't say rejected. He said, daughter. If you reach out in faith, listen to me, if you reach out in faith, he can't help but respond. He can't help but respond. His desire is to touch you, to heal you, to make you whole. Man, I've got so much here, but I want to give you permission today. Permission to come up here. Permission to get as close as you can. There's a million reasons that I shouldn't, but something about him tells me to come. I remember sitting in youth camp, being overwhelmed with conviction, overwhelmed with hurt, overwhelmed with shame and guilt and sin and anxiety and fear. I remember shaking, shaking when I knew the preacher was preaching because I knew, I knew I could get to the altar. I just didn't know if God wanted me there. I wanted to run to the altar. I wanted to run to his feet, but I was so afraid he was mad at me. I was so afraid he might not want me. I was so worried that I was too dirty for him. And I want everybody in this room today to know you not only can, but you may. You not only have the ability to, but you have permission to. You will only be met with love. You will only be met with daughter. You will only be met with son. God is love, and you are nothing other than loved.
Do you hear me? God is love and you are nothing other than love. I was teaching our youth group on Wednesday night. We were singing a song. Cade was singing a song that says, my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in his love. And I was teaching them that's not be, about being afraid of demons. It's not about being, a, being afraid of wasps, although wasps are demons. They're terrifying. <laughs> Goodness gracious. I think I'd rather fight a lion than a wasp, like golly. It's not about being afraid of heights. It's not about weird fears. It's not even about the fear of man. Because what the verse says is, perfect love casts out fear because fear carries with it the anticipation of punishment. But guess what's not here at the altar for you? Punishment. Do you know what's here at the altar for you? Open arms. Open arms. I love when the prodigal runs home because the, the father doesn't even listen to his story. Doesn't even listen to his story. I think one of the, this, God, if you disagree with me, that's okay. We can still be brothers just in Christ. But I think one of the dumbest things that churches have ever done is do, this, do a sinner's prayer. I don't see that in the Gospels. I don't see, if, if, if the success in church is getting people to raise their hands and repeat a prayer, we've done a great job at that. But if that's success in the kingdom, the New Testament church failed because they didn't go around getting people to raise their hand and repeat prayers. I remember coming to the altars in moments where I didn't even have words, man. Just tears. Just tears. Being met by perfect love. The reason that I stand before you today on this altar, yeah, listen, if you need to come, just come. I'll talk all day. If you need to come, just have a moment. Come on. The altars are always open. You can come whenever you need to. He's so good. He's so good. There's no judgment. There's no punishment. There's no disappointment. He didn't tell the prodigal, I want you to sit here and think about what you did for 10 years. None of that. None of that. He gives him the ring and the robe and he, put, he puts him in charge and he gives him his righteousness. And it's like, what in the world? That does not make sense. And that's, a, that's how good God is, man. Romans 2, 4 says, it's the kindness of God that leadeth men to repentance. Listen, you, go read the book of Acts. Paul and Peter didn't go around talking about how scary hell was. They didn't. They went around talking about how amazing Jesus was. It's the kindness of God that leadeth men to repentance. Grace. Grace isn't God looking the other way. It's God rolling up his sleeves. It's getting down in your mess to save you. Grace is being found out. I'm so thankful I was found out, man. I'm so thankful I got caught. What a relief. What a relief it is. That's his grace. This woman had become a master of being inconspicuous. Have you this morning? Have you become a master of hiding? Have you become a master of sitting in the back in the middle, blending in and staying quiet? Maybe you're hiding in plain sight. The master of putting on a smile, dressing the part, looking the part, but on the inside you're dying, you're breaking, you're terrified of being discovered a fraud. She thinks that she's about to get exposed. She was considered unclean and soiled by the religious crowd. She had been conditioned by her issue to hide and not touch anything, but Jesus invited her to the center of his attention and affection. He just doesn't want you healed. He wants you transformed. He wants you made whole. 
He wants your identity restored that your issue took from you. Jesus calls us beloved daughter. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, 22 says, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him for our guilty consciousness have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure heart, pure, uh, pure water. Come on. We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Jesus opened a new a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. You have a God that turns around. You have a God that doesn't have another thing on his agenda. You are his agenda. You are his beloved bride that he came here for who touched me. Who touched me? His eyes are sweeping through the crowd today. Who touched me? Who touched me? Who touched me? We didn't even get to the Jairus part. Can you imagine being Jairus while Jesus is looking for this woman and Jairus thinking, my daughter is dying. My daughter is dying, but he's just quiet. Man, I pray that we would be a house that's like Jairus. where we're not so concerned with our breakthrough that we miss everybody around us. Can you, like Jairus, while you're in an emergency, honor the breakthrough that somebody else is getting? And I want you to know, he hasn't forgotten about your daughter. He hasn't forgotten about your son. He hasn't forgotten about your issue. He hasn't forgotten about your health. He hasn't forgotten about your mind. He hasn't forgotten about your heart. He hasn't forgotten about your kids. He hasn't forgotten about your financial situation. He hasn't forgotten. I think this is the reason that Jesus stopped and so sows this woman. The reason that he stops as he's following Jairus is because he is building Jairus' faith while he's on the way. The reason, other pe- the, reason the person next to you is experiencing breakthrough before you're, for you are is not to stir up jealousy or envy, but it's to stir up your faith. It's to stir up your faith. Can you rejoice, man, when somebody else is experiencing breakthrough? And not leave offended and mad and frustrated because you didn't feel it today or you didn't get freedom today. It's not about that, man. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. When one person wins, we all win. Come on. When one person gets healed, we all get healed. Can we honor the breakthrough? He says, don't be afraid, just have faith. It says that he overheard what they were saying. One translation says he ignored what they were saying. And he looks at J.R. and says, don't let fear grip your heart. Just have faith and he shows up to the house and in this time they would have hired people to cry and wail and weep and throw a spectacle for this dead girl looks like a lot of churches making a lot of noise but nobody's getting back up and he comes in and says she ain't dead she's just sleeping she's not dead she's just sleeping I want to challenge the older generation in this room right now. If you've given up on the next generation, you have disqualified yourself from seeing them hit breakthrough. If you have given up on the next generation because you think the LGBTQ agenda is more powerful than the blood of Jesus.
You think that our government is more powerful than the government in the throne room of heaven? If you're praying, God, come quickly and get, off, get us off this hellhole, you're disqualifying yourself from seeing signs and wonders. Because signs and wonders don't cause belief, they follow belief. They don't cause belief, they follow belief. Come on. He's not dead, she's just sleeping. She's not dead, she's just sleeping. The next generation's not dead, they're just asleep. Your prodigal's not dead, they're just sleeping. Get out the fear mongers, get out the naysayers, get out the ones that are saying, Lord, I hope you come back tomorrow. I hope he doesn't come back tomorrow because we got things to do. And I can be with him right here, right now. Will it be better when we pass on one day? For sure. Will it be better when he comes back and makes the new heavens, new earth? Absolutely. But I'm excited because I get to be a part of transforming this, what you call a hellhole. I get to be a part about transforming. I was just in a, in, in a room with a week for 110 teenagers, man. 110 teenagers who were encountering the love of God, dude. Don't talk to me about this next generation's going to hell in a handbasket. You don't know the power of my God. Woo! Come on, man. Come on. If you need to find a place at this altar, find a place at the altar. You have permission. The rest of us, stand with me. We're going to worship God here. Come on, man. He's so good. And listen, I, yeah, find a place. That, you need to find a place if you need to. I don't care if you're on staff here. I don't care if you're on the band here. I don't care if you're running a camera. If you need a place at this altar, get to it. And man, I'm not in a hurry. Because Jairus, he had an idea of what was going to happen and it didn't happen the way he wanted it to. I don't care if you've been a saved for 50 years. If you need breakthrough, I just want to encourage you to respond to him this morning. If you need breakthrough, you have permission to get it absolutely as close as possible. So they're going to sing these songs. We're going to worship for a few minutes in response to his word. Thank you for listening to this message from Christian Ministries Church. If this message impacted you and you'd like to sow into our ministry, you can give at cmchurch.com. If you'd like to listen to more of our messages, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for Christian Ministries. God bless.